Good morning, church. How are you? It is wonderful uh, to be with you. There's some really good announcements in there. Uh, one of the mo real important ones is remember next week we're going to have a family service, which we normally have on the, on the months with five Sundays. And next Sunday, we're not going to be here. If you show up, we're not going to be here. If you show up anywhere at 10, we're not going to be there. We're going to be at the Centerville Recreation Building uh, in Centerville. There's an awesome playground and there's a field we're going to set up. And from what I'm told, there's lots of shade uh, in the field. So as long as it's not raining, uh, we're going to have a wonderful time, just a, a barbecue, a get-together, um, just to be together. Uh, the message will be brief. The music will just be a brief time to worship together. But we just want to hang out. Uh, we want to hang out with uh, our church, and uh, we hope to see you, th see you there. It's a great opportunity to invite uh, friends and family if you'd like. Um, so we hope to see you there. All right, let's set up for this morning. Jerry, I'm going to need your help. All right. So this morning, uh, so we've been in this series talking about parables of Jesus. And today, uh, this is probably one of the uh, more well-known uh, parables, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And what's, uh, before we jump right into it, uh, I think it's always important uh, to recognize uh, the context uh, of the scriptures that we dive into. And this is a parable, but there is still a context within the physical scriptures themselves. There's, a, there's scriptures obviously before, and there's normally after. And normally when you see uh, certain keywords or phrases, uh, we can get that, but it might be a little difficult. Before this passage and after this passage, so it means it, where this passage falls inside is a kingdom focus. Um, what did I say? A kingdom context. That sounds right. So there's a, a kingdom focus of talking about the kingdom of God. And in these passages, in this group, is where we learn a lot uh, of things about um, the kingdom of God that we might not have known before. Right before this in Luke 17, we learn that the kingdom is something that cannot be observed, that you cannot obtain it by self-preservation, um, but only by giving up yourself and taking up the life of Christ. This is then emphasized later in chapter, at the end of chapter 18 with the rich young ruler. And then after that, we also learn that those who receive his kingdom must have faith like a child. And then not too far after that, we learn that uh, it would be incredibly difficult for those who have such so many possessions and wealth here on earth to obtain the kingdom of God. Not impossible, but difficult. So with this parable being wedged right in the middle of those teachings, it's, it's not just fair, but it's important for us to observe that the initial context is going to be kingdom-focused, okay? I think there's going to be layers of application uh, and understanding, but the initial is with the kingdom in mind. Let's go ahead. Let's go to Luke uh, chapter 18, starting with verse 9. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, 
fast twice a week. I get a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Dearly Father, we thank you again for this morning. We, we pray again that you would give us the ears to hear from you and no one else, the eyes to see you move in our midst, and give us the ability to be changed by your spirit. Lord, would you keep us focused on you and nothing else, just for this brief time Well, I'm Pastor Sean, and, and I am incredibly uh, honored and blessed to just be able to, to share this word, and I, and I hope uh, that it is a blessing to you. Um, this is, a, again, this is a very well-known parable. Out of all the parables, it's probably one of the ones that's talked about uh, the most, at, at least I talk about it the most. Um, and uh, what that can do is that could breed familiarity, which can be good, but also can be not good. We can get comfortable in our initial understanding, and my prayer that we can walk away with something a little bit different that is still inspired by the scriptures so that we walk out of here differently than we came in. Amen? Amen. So uh, this can be really summed up. We could just end it right here uh, with a poem uh, that summarizes this by Richard Crashaw. It says, Two went up into the temple to pray. Two went to pray? Or rather say, one went to brag and the other to pray. One stands up close and treads on high where the other dares not send his eye. One nearer to God's altar trod, the other to the altar's God. See, one was concerned with his position among men, and the other was concerned about his position to God. And I think this is, this is not a, an incredibly hidden meaning in this uh, parable. Let's go back to uh, uh, verse 9. Verse 9 reads, He also told this parable, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. We need to find out who Jesus is talking to. And I really like how, uh, don't use this often, but I really like how the message puts it, which I think I have up here. The message reads, he told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. See, we we tend to automatically, when we come to this parable or other parables, or, or uh, especially when we're talking about the Pharisees, we, we, we tend to assume we know who Jesus is talking to. Now, I mean, I think the majority of my understanding is, even though this is just a parable, which means it's not an actual story, it's an illustration of truth, uh, that I would think, okay, he's talking about the Pharisees, he's really... He's really talking to the Pharisees. There might be some other people to consider, but he's really talking about those, those, those stiff-necked Pharisees over there. But Jesus spoke this parable to those who were just comfortable with their own righteousness. And I don't like that. I kind of wish I never read the message uh, to have that understanding because that brings that a little bit closer to home. Even if it's not all the time, even if, if it's not 24-7, pretty often I, I, can, I can be pretty comfortable with my righteousness. What I do and what I don't do, I can sit well and feel okay. okay. And I, I don't think it's audacious to think I'm not the only one. 
And, and, and I think one of the reasons we lend to this understanding is because when we hear Pharisee, whether it's a parable or whether Jesus is talking to them, we think of villain, right? We think of villain in the faith. I don't know what kind of might be in your mind every time you see a Pharisee uh, or hear the word Pharisee. But we automatically put them in a category of, okay, oh, they messed up again. They're, they're, they're the ones we don't want to be like, right? But the original hearers would not have been offended by the Pharisees or most of what the Pharisees did. They would have thought of, of the Pharisee as a, as a holy model to admire. Uh, they, they were incredibly philanthropic, and uh, they were brilliant and upstanding citizens, and these were people that you wanted to notice, and you wanted to be noticed by. I mean, you can think of whatever celebrity you'd like, that if they just walked in and sat next to you and wanted to have lunch, you would be, uh, you would be shocked, okay? This, this, the modern hearer, the modern reader, would have seen Pharisee and been good with it. We cringe, but they would have been, yeah, that's, that's who I want to be like. So for Jesus to come in, he kind of shakes things up a little bit. But again, it's for me at least, I'll speak for myself, there's a constant need to remember that Jesus isn't actually just talking to the Pharisees. He's using them as an example, but he's talking uh, to those who are comfortable in their own righteousness. Because Jesus does not attach an obvious societal label or external demographic to this first group, he doesn't attach the label Pharisee. He doesn't attach businessman, college student. He doesn't attach Republican, Democrat, liberal, LGBTQ, social media influencer, mechanic. He doesn't, he doesn't attach that label. So please, let's start somewhere fresh and don't limit your understanding by assuming you know who Jesus is talking about. Instead, let's say let's start with a clean, fresh set of eyes and let's assume just for fun, that Jesus is talking about you. For, for fun. Let's just start there. Everybody, don't look at your neighbor. Don't think of your family member. Just assume we're talking about you. Okay. See, Jesus is speaking to everyone who has grown complacently pleased with themselves, and none of us are immune to catching that. There's a quote by Calvin who said, no disease is more dangerous than arrogance, and yet all have it so deeply fixed in the marrow of their bones that it can scarcely be removed by any remedy. Unfortunately, amen. Let's go to Luke 18.10. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, this time we have uh, the new uh, temple, uh, Herod's, temple, and the temple where they would go to pray had four courts. I believe we have some images up here. And each subsequent court was higher than the court before it. I really hope I used that word right. I, I studied it, but I, who knows. Uh, what, what I mean is, every court, the next court was right actually higher up physically. Okay, So you had, uh, first down here, uh, the next picture, we had uh, the court of uh, Gentiles. So that little and th this is not probably the most accurate, but it's very pretty, and it's very old. So uh, that greenish, uh, grayish outer, that was the uh, court of uh, Gentiles, the outer court. And anybody was allowed to be in this court. Right, out, right next to where we have the gate called Beautiful. We know the interaction Jesus had there. And everybody was allowed to be there. Then the next, uh, the next court uh, was the court of women. 
and this was, again, I may, I'm just simple, but I just, I hear court of women, I'm thinking, okay, only women would be there. So then how would the men get to the, so, so the court of women is just, that's as far as women could go. They can go in court, everybody can be in the court of Gentiles, they can be in the court of women, but that's as far as women could go. And then the next one, we have the court of Israel, which is where only Jewish men were able to go. So you had to get past the court of Gentiles, court of women, court of Israel, and then the last one, we had the court of priests, and then you have uh, the altar, uh, you have the Holy of Holies, all that stuff. Now, it's important to remember this because uh, this is where we're saying the people are praying, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you had to get to where they were going to get to. They had to get to a couple of courts, which there's a lot of people. They had to get through all of these people to worship. And there is a common misconception that, that uh, people think that back in this time when Jesus was saying this, that tax collectors weren't actually supposed to be here praying because tax collectors were such uh, abhorrent people uh, that, that there's the assumption that, that they would have not really been allowed. But that's not true. There is a difference in morality, but ritualistically they were, the tax collectors were allowed to go in as much as uh, this Pharisee to go pray. And they we know this, people didn't like the tax collectors. They, they, they rejected their loyalty to their people, of Israel, for their own personal gain through money. And uh, there is an, I'm going to attempt to put a modern context that these would be uh, similar to how we would just have the viewer perception of drug dealers, or let alone just people that use uh, drugs. We would think there, there, there may be an automatic assumption that they don't have as clean of a moral compass as we do. Right? So that's, that's, that's the idea going around the tax collector of what people would be seeing and what people would be thinking. Now imagine is a drug dealer, well-known drug user, walks into church. We wouldn't think that they're not allowed to be here, right? No one be, this is not for you, did you see the sign, no drug dealers allowed. We, we wouldn't do that. Okay, I think, I think we can all sit there. But I have a suspicion that we would all be a little skeptical of their intent, hoping not to be fooled by them. A lot of thoughts could be flooding by. Uh, you know, you might get a little tense. Uh, you might not sit where you normally sit, especially if they sit close by. And I, I think we could very practically have some very fa pharisaical instincts kick in, but then we will label that as discernment. Verse 11. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Notice again that he's at least in eyesight of the Pharisee. He says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Let's ask this question. What is actually wrong with this prayer? Hopefully we get a sense that there's not something right with this prayer. There's a lot of things wrong with this prayer. And we notice that this man thanks God that he was not like the other depraved, hopeless, ignorant sinners who actually need repentance, forgiveness, and salvation. I have this quote that uh, says, In this parable about this Pharisee, this, his prayer expresses the essence of Phariseeism, which is separation from 
again, when we attach to the when we, that's automatically attached when we hear Pharisee. But again, Jesus is not just talking to the Pharisee. Those that have desire, the, the, the focus of just being separated from others. So, just for a second, who is it you're separating yourself from? Good reason, for bad reason, for a long time, for just a short time. There's, there's somebody, I already have too many people in there. Who are you proud you are separate from? Augustine put it this way, the Pharisee was not rejoicing so much in his own clean bill of health as in comparing it with the disease of others. As if you could go to the doctor, who knows your medical history, who knows your ailments, who has a good idea of what's currently wrong with you, and then going to the doctor's office and telling everybody at the doctor's office that there is nothing wrong with you. Well then, first of all, if there's nothing wrong with you, why did you go to the doctor? If the Pharisee had nothing to be forgiven of, why did he go to the temple to pray? So you're in the doctor's office, you're telling everybody, you're bragging that nothing's wrong with you, and that nothing, no, none, of the, none of the ailments of the losers in the waiting room, they didn't touch you, you're good, you're clean. You think the doctor might know better? You think you would win that argument of trying to convince the doctor that there's nothing wrong with you? Okay, I need you to track with me for this next one, because I had a lot of fun with this, and maybe I shouldn't have. There's a, there's a movie that came out. Uh, called Bird Box. Okay, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, I'm going to try to condense it down to uh, enough where you would even care. So the Bird Box is a movie with Sandra Bullock. There's uh, John Malkovich, uh, Machine Gun Kelly. Those, I'm not advertising anything, but those are the people that are in it. And it's actually based on a 2014 novel. And the premise of it is very similar to other things that have been out where all of a sudden they don't know why, but there's this outbreak of something and they don't know if it's a virus or disease. And uh, it's flooding through um, every country, and uh, if you if you if this thing gets to you, uh, you go crazy. Okay. So after you know in the first you know half hour of the, of the film, uh, they find out that you know as long as you uh, as long as you don't see whatever this thing is or whatever it's doing, and you're really quiet, then you 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 won't get infected. So that, there's blindfolds, and, and they blindfold everybody, and uh, uh, we don't know exactly what this thing is. We don't know if, if it's an airborne illness or if it's a demon or a monster, uh, but, but Sandra Bullock is trying to, to get through everything blindfolded. Okay. And when this came out, so I didn't realize it was this popular, but it got, and I, re I, don't, I don't think I realized it was so popular because of how much hate it got on the internet after it came out. The internet was absolutely ruthless with this movie, but it had, in the first seven days it came out on Netflix, over 45 million accounts had watched this movie. Record break. I'm not advertising. I'm not telling you to go see it. I'm just saying. It was popular. People were closet Bird Box fans after what the internet did. But what, the reason why I was what I loved, and I, I, at the time, was all the memes that came out of it. And I think that, that's what we're going to, we're not going to focus on the movie, we're going to focus on the meme. So you have this picture, the first one, because I identify with these really, really well. Me trying to get anywhere without GPS. I live right across the parking lot. I have, no, I'm just joking. But you know, you know, you, you go from, and even if you know where you're going, you still put it in, right? All right, what's, what's the next one? When your teacher tells you not, tells you to look her in the eyes. This was terrifying. Even if you didn't do anything wrong. When I was a 
you know, it, it, just look at me. No, no, no. It's terrible. Next one. Me, a middle-aged adult trying to keep up on the latest internet trends. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you identify with that. Next one. Could you see us being together? <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> All right, take a second. <laughs> I know you saw my text. <laughs> All right, and this is my favorite, walking fast, a sink full of different dishes, like, ah, I don't know. Okay. Uh, it was pretty, we do, we do this. There's so many things uh, we, we uh, avoid, um, whether because we think it's better for us or what, but I'll tell you what, church, we do this with our lives. We do this with our sin do this with some choices we, we make and the consequences that come after. And a lot of times we act as if God's going to play along. It's not true. See, the Pharisee prays and gives thanks for the sins he has not committed, which we do to prevent ourselves from facing the sins we do By refusing to acknowledge the painful guilt of his sin or to ask for atonement, the Pharisee showed how little he actually knew about salvation. Church, don't get caught there. This exposure of the heart condition of a reputable model of faith would have certainly shaken the foundations of the first century audience. He probably did not see that coming. I mean, remember, the, the Pharisee is someone everybody wanted to be like. This was the pinnacle. This was the, uh, the end where it, this is how you knew you were arrived. You arrived if you were a Pharisee, if you were in that class, if you had that kind of faith, if you had that kind of ability to, to go out and love other people, if you had that kind of knowledge that you could hold on to and tap into. And Jesus is using them as an illustration for what not to be like. That would have there, there was a game when uh, I was at the end of high school that was just, there was a, more of a, a, a prank uh, where you would sit somebody down at a computer and you, they would have to use their mouse to kind of get through this trail of like a couple different levels. And every time anyone did it, somebody was recording. So by the end of it, at like four or five different levels, you, they'd be, and the whole idea, the, the, the uh, trail got smaller and smaller and smaller. And the idea was to keep their intent like so fixed and focused on getting their mouse so they don't touch because if they went outside the lines, they'd have to start all over. So they're working, and then at the end, uh, a giant scary face would, because by the time they're done, they're at the end, they're this close to the screen, and this giant scary face pops up, and it was just, it was always hilarious. I think that's kind of what happened to these people. I think it would have messed them up, because they're like, yes, 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 oh, oh, wait, what? That's how unexpected I imagine this being for the original hearers. They thought they knew where Jesus was going with it, and turned it upside down. So I think there's a warning here of not just getting caught up in trusting your own self-righteousness, but also trusting in your own understanding. I, I encourage you for this exercise just to ask yourself this next question. What areas of my character and behavior do I trust enough to say, God, there's no more work for you to do here? Where do you say that in your honest with yourself. I'm not asking you to be honest with me or anyone near you, because I'm sure somebody could. What do we say in our life with God? No, I'm good there. You don't, you don't, even, you don't even have to open that door. There's nothing, to, there's nothing to look at. 
written, whoever is puffed up with self-trust wages war openly on God. The truth is, he already knows. Let's keep going. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, his behavior actually matched his prayer. He stayed as at a distance as his soul was at a distance from God. His eyes stayed down as he felt the weight of his sin and his own shame. And his prayer focused on his sinful state and nobody else's. And most of us know better than to do what the Pharisees did, right? Most of us know better than to actually pray thanking God uh, that we're not like that person. We don't pray saying, God, I'm glad I don't steal like that person. God, I'm glad I'm not like that mom who doesn't pay attention to her kids. God, I'm really, I'm really thankful that I'm not like that dad who barely gets involved. I'm really glad I'm not like that person who gossips. God, I'm really glad we're not like that couple who blows all their money on silly things and always asks the church for help. God, I'm really glad I'm not that person who goes to Starbucks but then sends an email needing a meal train. We wouldn't be that for Who do you identify more with? Now, if you were to say the tax collector, let's get the modern take uh, of the tax collector. I hope this, I really don't think this is outside the scope of scripture as the parable is, is fiction and, and so is this. So, so follow with me. If you disagree, please don't tell me. Um, imagine this tax collector. It could be somebody who smokes weed occasionally or, or someone who has a child that they barely see. Or maybe had a child outside of marriage altogether. Or maybe they moved in with their girlfriend. Sometimes has too much to drink and make bad choices. Or constantly calls out of work, struggles to pay rent, and then asks his friends and family for money. Or works at some place that doesn't align with your values, like an abortion clinic. Or what about the adult film industry? Or even at a coffee shop that only sells decaf. Just detestable. This is what they do for a living. But they struggle with the truth daily. Again, this modern take is fiction, just like the parable. I don't think it's going too far. But imagine that that kind of person that you know walks into church and they feel uncomfortable because of the guilt and shame of making the same mistakes over and over, even though they keep saying they're never going to. Picture that person, that struggle, that tension. Now, pause. Let's not get lost here. Sometimes we feel guilty because we should. Okay. No, I can't leave it there. But even, even after Christ, sometimes we feel guilty because we should. He's taken away our guilt. He's taken away our shame. The eternal consequences of that, absolutely. But sometimes you did something and messed up. And the answer isn't, well, God forgave me, so I'm good. Just, just brush it off. No! Sometimes we feel guilty because we should. And it's bad advice to say, just, it's, just, just move past it. Because sometimes we need to wrestle with that. And often we are unwilling to do that. Because that takes something. That takes time. That takes effort. That takes relationship. We do that. So I don't want to take away from that, because that's a reality. Before Jesus, if you feel guilty, maybe you should. 
See, many who attend church regularly know that they are guilty. But often they bury it rather than resolving it in God's way. And then they use church as a mechanism to find a group of people that make them feel better about themselves. Instead of realizing the need for Christ to redeem and transform you. It's okay to come to church feeling guilty and feeling shame and feeling broken. Expecting and hoping God to fix it. Not to just put a blanket over it. Not to just put a blindfold on so nobody else sees your mess. Basil the Great said, Humility often saves a sinner who has committed many terrible transgressions. Not save as in salvation with Jesus. Humility is a giant step that we can't skip. See, this man knew that something was wrong with him. He felt it, and he came before the holy God anyway, looking for mercy to change his trajectory. Remember, that temple, all of that, where, where all he had to go to get through all of these people to get there, he did that. He had to still go through. Imagine this, this walking every step and people, he feeling the looks that people were giving him, but he went anyway. Do you think he knew he would probably get a little ostracization uh, before he went? Probably. That didn't keep him. Don't let that keep you. Now, see, the tax collector, what he asked for in his prayer was mercy. And there's a procedure for mercy that our original hearers would have been very familiar with. You can read about it in, in Leviticus chapter 16, also in 17. So the whole uh, sacrifice and, and sins uh, back in Leviticus 16, God told Ab Abraham that he can't just do anything he wanted and call it worship. Church, you can't do anything you want and call it worship. Sorry. He God told Aaron that he had to sacrifice a bull for mercy and forgiveness of sins for himself and his house first. Okay? Then he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Then he was supposed to take a, a goat and sacrifice it and, and, and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And then after that, he was supposed to take another goat and put hands on it and, and pray uh, and confess all the sins of Israel and then send it out outside of the city into the wilderness. So what scripture would call, some translations say, into an uninhabitable place. This was for the goat to die. This is where we get scapegoats from, to, to, to get the sins out of here. But there was a, a, a requirement of, of blood to not just be shed, but the sprinkling of it all over the place was proof that this had happened. And only then would God forgive and show mercy until the following year. There was blood among blood among blood required to receive mercy. And this is what the tax collector was asking for. And God, I know I, I messed up. I keep saying I want to do this different, but I don't do it different. I do this. I say I'm not going to hit her. I hit her. I say I'm not going to yell. I yell. I say I'm not going to do this. I do this. And I realize it's a lot. God, all of that, whatever it takes, if it takes sacrifice, if it takes blood, whatever it is, I need the mercy that you can provide. Isn't that the whole point of the cross? Blood as proof that, that, that we have been forgiven. And isn't it better? Isn't, isn't it what's supposed to happen is we confirm what he did on the cross and ask and for mercy and forgiveness rather than acting like we don't need it? We still need it. 
even after we come to know the Lord, after we submit to him, we still need it. The tax collector had no faith in himself to achieve or get a right standing before God, but he believed in the reality of the Almighty's ability to show him grace anyway. Do you? I know this is something I, I lifelong struggle. That if I do this again, okay, now, okay, now I've used up my 3,000th forgiveness. Man, I got to do something else. I think that's a struggle. But on the other hand, the Pharisee tried building his own boat, or his own boat and setting out to sea. Here's the thing between the Pharisee and the tax collector. Doing cannot take the place of believing. Your doing is not going to get you where you think it should go. It's not going to get you where you think God says you should go. The only thing that's going to get you there, the only thing that's going to get you mercy, forgiveness, humility, is the believing. Don't, don't mix them up, church. Last verse, verse 14. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone Everyone, not just the Jew, not just the Gentile, not just the person that doesn't go to church every Sunday. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Alistair Begg and others have pointed out that there's two men, two prayers, and two destinies. Jesus didn't reevaluate the ranks of those two men. Simply, to, he didn't just raise the tax collector to a higher position because of his humility. Jesus makes it clear that there are two very different approaches to God which have two very different outcomes. This tells me we need to take this seriously. This isn't just a, oh, okay, good, all right, oh, now I'm, I'm okay, now I'm going to, no, this is a very serious matter that Jesus seemed to take very seriously in this parable. Your pride isn't just going to get you a lower seat. It's not, he's not just going to put you at the kids' table. It's two completely different destinations, and that scares me. See, we endanger ourselves when we at any point condemn others in their brokenness while positioning a willful ignorance to our own brokenness. Church, you're a new creation, but you're not done. Many of us, if not all, need to be reminded of this and maybe even chastened. I talked about before, Bob Thornton, he wrote a wonderful book called The Chastening of the Lord. And in it, he explains what chastening is used for, what the purpose of chastening. He outlined three. First one is punishment. Being chastened by the Lord, you get punished. And this is designed to persuade us to avoid the same compromise in the future, like our parents do. The next one is for purification, which is designed to make us fuller partakers of his holiness. Sometimes there's something that God needs to get out so we can get closer to him so that we can rid that mess. But the third observation of, of what the purpose of chastening would be is for maturity, for qualification. See, there are some ranks and stations in the kingdom of God for which one must qualify. And we know the initial qualification for us to be of God. Okay, I'm going to, I assume that we know that I'll say it, but I'm not talking about replacing that. We know that the initial qualification for any, 
to be a member of the kingdom of God is, can, can only be attained by regeneration. Right? Submitting to the saving knowledge and grace of Jesus. Confessing that he is the perfect son and sacrifice of the Almighty. That is our initial, that is our initial kingdom context. That needs to be there. You can't fake it till you make it. That has to happen. Okay? That's the initial kingdom context. And this is where the Pharisee fell short and the tax collector was exalted. One qualified himself while the other knew he was unworthy before the Holy God. But I do think that there's additional layers that we can take from this, even within the kingdom of God as well. See, church, right now, in, in, your, in your quiet heart, if you sense God is warning you this morning, I encourage you to go back here. Whatever he might be telling you, go back here. Throw yourself at the will and mercy of God and put yourself above the middle way. See, I say that and we're all like, okay, that makes sense. In, in here it makes sense, but even for me, in here it makes sense. But there's people we think we're better than. There's people we see their choices and our choices, and we can't help but think, oh, did something right. We look at some people's choices even within the church, and we're like, man, they, they have, I'm not going to point that out. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to try to walk with them. They're, they're there. That's their journey. That's the end. I see that that's where they're going. I'm here. We do that. You don't have to nod your head. You don't have to clap. You don't have to. I know it's true. Maybe you're wondering to yourself, why does that's you, put yourself humbly before the Lord and look lovingly on you. Maybe you feel like God's not using you the way he used to. Put yourself humbly before the Lord and stop obsessing over that other person's horrible Facebook post. Maybe you don't feel like you really have a community in this church or any church you go to. Put yourself humbly before the Lord and love on the people you've been avoiding. Maybe people aren't meeting your expectations. Put yourself humbly before the Lord and serve those delinquents. Understand, church, that our pride before the Lord who formed us and knows us is what keeps us from maturity and from qualification, not other people. Again, there's a kingdom context. I think we understand the kingdom context. And we can't go anywhere We don't just get to read some books or follow some people on social media and think, man, all right, now I got it. Now I got, I got that quote right in my pocket. I'm going to use it next time. I'm good. Can't do that. It's only Jesus. But the layers on layers, especially for us, church, because remember, Jesus isn't talking to a specific demographic other than those who have gone complacent in their righteousness, and we are in danger of that. considers how far short he falls, he will be unable to pray in any other way than by beginning with the confession of guilt. 
more, some may be less, but all in common are guilty. Wherefore, Christ is without doubt laying down a law for us all, as if he said that God is appeased only when we cease to trust in our works and pray to be reconciled. Church, let this be us. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust in our own understanding. We don't trust in our own even application. If God's speaking something to you, but you're like, no, this is how I've always understood it, who cares? If God's telling you to do this to get there, but you want to get there by going around here, Start, what have you stopped trusting God with and started trusting yourself? Church, please stay here. Put your face down. Put your eyes down. Ask for mercy. Dearly Father, we thank you so much for this day. But again, we thank you for this scripture, this parable that on the surface could seem so simple, Lord, but if we can see layer upon layer upon layer. Lord, our prayer, our, our, our petition is that you would make us look more like you and less like ourselves. Would we be willing to take off our blindfolds to our own sin, our own iniquity, our own mess, confront it with you, bring it to you, to be cleansed of it, bring us to stop hiding. Lord, would we be so expectant of your hand to move them. When we see your holy face, we can't help but just beg for mercy. God, would you clean us? Would you purify us? Would you chasten us if you need to? Make your church look more like the church. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, church, for listening. Remember, next week, don't come here. Don't go anywhere at 10. We're going to be at the Centerville Rec Center, 11 a.m. for our family service. Have a wonderful